Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about parenting teenagers. I'm delighted to welcome special guest, Aaron Huey. Aaron is an internationally known lecturer on archetypal imagery, body language, and martial arts, and the founder and president of Fire Mountain Programs. And since 2004, has run kids camps, teen camps, and family programming. In 2009, he and his wife, Christine, opened a residential mental health and dependency recovery treatment center for teens 12 to 17 in Colorado. Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center was named one of the top 50 healthcare providers in the United States, and in 2020, named one of the top 100 innovators in healthcare. You can find Aaron on Facebook at Parenting Teens That Struggle for a ton of free information and advice, and you can find his masterclass at brabapp.com, and I'll include those links in the description. He's also a podcast host, and he is fantastic. You can find him wherever podcasts are found. All right. So Aaron, I'm so glad that you could join with me today. I'm so excited to be talking about parenting and about working with kids who give us a run for our money. And I loved, as I was reading through your, your Q and A and what kinds of things to ask, you talked about, um, a suggested question of why teens make bad choices. And then you put, they don't, I'll explain. Don't. And I <laughs> loved that because I can tell right away that you are an advocate for teens. You get it. You get it. So help us to be able to get it so that we can be on the same page and be happy and like our teens when they're doing stupid things. So I think that's, there's a, it would, would, first and foremost, thank you for bringing me on your show. You were an amazing guest on mine. And I was so appreciative of the level of skill that you brought. And uh, just we're, we're dealing with things going on with my audience, with my clients and stuff that is so over the top intense. And your voice was so reassuring, calming, and acknowledging that the sun will also rise. And that's gonna happen. Now, how you create that next moment for yourself is what's important. And that's, that's, a, that's a hard thing for parents who are in crisis with their kids. And that is my primary audience, is that crisis parenting. Um, these, these are parents whose kids are hurting themselves desperately, and they're addicted to things, and they're suffering mental health issues. And it's all crashing and burning in this cacophony of adolescence, puberty, gross. Like, you know, I know, right. And as you're describing all of these horrible, horrible things. And in my mind, I'm still having, they don't, they don't make bad choices. They don't make bad choices. So I'm, I'm super excited to see you flip this on its head okay. so that parents can say, wait, what? It, it's, yeah. This is okay. This is, it, it's okay. And it's going to be okay because man, having, having lived that experience myself at the moment, it so did not feel okay. I mean, very unokay, <laughs> to put it mildly. So how how is this okay that they're making well, these choices? Yeah. So first of all, we have to embrace a question: Is this willingness or capability? Because choice implies willingness. Are you willing to make a better choice than the one that you just made? Are you willing to make a good choice? That in my opinion is a bad choice. Are you willing to make a better choice? But so often in crisis, we are dealing with capability. What choice is a child capable of making in this moment? We think as adults with a fully developed prefrontal cortex, that there are a thousand decisions that we can make in this moment. 
but we're not talking about an adult with a fully developed prefrontal cortex. We're talking about a child. And it's hard because these children are tall with deep voices and, and loud screaming and um, adult size attitudes and adult size issues and problems, but we're still with child brains. And, and there, is, there is a limit to the capability that a child makes. So that's number one, is this decision about this, this decision that they've made, this choice that they've made, is it willingness or capability? That's the first thing. And you only get a couple of seconds to consider that because number two is very simply this. Everything is an expression of need. Me being on your show is an expression of need to be loved, connected with, listened to. Why? Because my biological father never did any of those things with me. Me, me did having a podcast, me being a parent coach, maybe all of these things are expression of needs and everything everybody does. I know that's a big, broad statement, but prove me wrong. Everything that everybody does is based on one of five human needs, safety, power, connection, freedom, and worth. And those are in developmental order. Safety happens in the womb. Power happens at 18 months. Connection happens at seven and up. Uh, freedom happens at 18 and worth is everything that we see adults doing and why they are doing what they do. Now we have all of those needs at all times. They develop in that order. And that's why kids make the decisions that they do because of safety, power, connection, freedom, or worth. Let me give the most basic example. And I've given this one a thousand times because I've asked this question to teenagers a thousand times. Why do you smoke? You have been growing up in your schools with posters on your walls that says, don't smoke, don't smoke cigarettes, bad for you, it'll kill you, it is turn your teeth yellow and your clothes smell and you lose your sense of smell and you lose your sense of taste and other people don't want to be around you, blah, it's gross, it's, it's a, and there's not an adult on this planet that will tell you that smoking is healthy. So why do you smoke? And the teenagers gave when I would ask that to the thousands of teens I've worked with over the years. But ask that question, why do you smoke? You know better. Why do you do it? Why do you make that choice? And they all say one of these, if not all three of these things. I get to take a break from my life. I, I, I just get to take a break. Or they say, well, I, I go outside and I hang with my friends. And you see, it's not about the smoking. And in fact, Linda, if you came to me and said, oh my God, Aaron, I got this client driving me up the wall. She just won't get it. She can't do it. I, I can't sleep like this. I don't know if this client is traumatizing me. Like, I don't know. I would say, Linda, 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 here's where, here's, here's my prescription for you, Linda. I need you to take a break from seeing clients for a second. I need you to go outside. I need you to get it with a support group. And I'm going to add one more. I want you to take deep breaths. Right. And that's, that's pretty common advice for a therapist, but I just described smoking and add two deep breaths, hanging with a group of friends, going outside and taking a break, add to one of the most intoxicating, addictive, poisonous substances on the planet and introduce that to your brain chemistry. That's why they smoke. It's because safety, they took a break from their problems. Power, parents are telling them not to. They're, go, they're bucking the system. Freedom, they're taking a break. Worth, they've got a community of friends. And connection. That's why. So is that a bad choice or is it a risky choice? Oh. So bad and bad and good choices versus, hey, that's a risky choice. That could go bad places. So there's a difference between a bad choice and a risky choice. So yeah. perhaps what you would say is kids aren't making bad choices. They're making risky choices. Is that the way you would put it? I would 
then begin the conversation with the parents where they say, okay, fine, it's a risky choice. And it's like, is it? Because I can tell you, Linda, when I was high, I was happy. And when I was sober, I was suicidal. You know, because I was abandoned by my biological father. I was bullied mercilessly as a child. And then when my, the, in the first year of being away from home, I was sexually assaulted by my best friend. And so I started using cannabis on the daily basis. Why? Because it felt good. Because I wasn't suicidal when I was high. Because when I was high, I could listen to music and experience freedom and feel safe around other men. And, and I was happy. But the moment I was sober, those, the depression and the anxiety and the suicidality and the loneliness and the betrayal and the abandonment and all that crap came back. I had a lot of people telling me I needed to stay sober. And I had a kid and I had a wife. But when I was sober, I was ready to die. So tell me, was it a risky decision or was it an effective decision? Because my habituated condition pattern kept me alive until I actually dealt with the problem. And I'll tell you, the problem wasn't cannabis. Right, right. As you're describing your scenario, and I am so grateful that you're helping to share your story and to be able to open this. And I would love to hear more. Um, I recently read uh, the, the Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel Vanderpool. Brilliant book. And he talks about when the problem is the solution how so many behaviors, risky behaviors, addictive behaviors, coping behaviors that are very bad decisions that hurt us. They hurt our bodies. They hurt our minds. They hurt our relationships. They hurt all of these things. And yet the reason that we do it, if you go a little deeper is because it is seen as a solution. Now, the tricky thing is about these, and you're describing your situation and saying, you know, I, you, you, that sounds like you really have no regrets, but as we're trying to actually heal and you made a distinction between that coping and between healing, and there's a, there's a, a big difference. Yeah. So what, what made you go from coping to healing? And then what behaviors do you do to, to heal? First, let me clarify. Uh, I have a million regrets. And I am not one of those people who says, no regrets, no regrets. No, I regret everything I did and who I was. And if I don't regret, then I placate it and belittle the mess, the mess of a father, the mess of a husband, the mess of an employee, the mess of a community member that I was as a drug dealer and a drug user. And, and I, I used cannabis. That's, that was my drug of choice. But I regret the man I was who used cannabis on the daily basis to avoid dealing with the discomfort of his life. My solution caused more problems, And I had already proven that I wasn't good at handling problems. So I used more cannabis. Now, have the argument with me around whether cannabis is addictive. I don't care. And trust me, I've had that argument with thousands of teenagers. And I, my response is, I don't care. I handled cannabis like a junkie. How did you handle it? Because some people handle it great. Some people handle alcohol just fine. Some people have a drink at New Year's and smoke some weed on their birthday four months later and the Super Bowl comes around and they pass a bong, but that ain't me. And it was that point in my recovery process that, that the shame and the guilt and the regret gave way to the realization 
that when I stopped smoking pot and drinking and using LSD, I started getting into toxic relationships with women. And when I was tired of blaming the women for the toxic relationships and just said, fine, I won't be in a relationship, these eating patterns emerged that were unhealthy and risky. And it was at that point, a year and a half in recovery that I went, ah, crap, it's me. And that's where the work began. Ooh, okay. That is an important golden nugget where you talked about, okay, I had toxic relationships. So I blamed the women Mm. I was, and you talked about the experiences with your father, which really you didn't choose or experiences being abused, which you didn't choose. We don't choose a, a lot of these negative things that we have, but even when we didn't choose the situation, we still have to take the accountability for the healing process. So you having this wake up moment and changing and putting the responsibility onto your own shoulders, that's a hard thing. Yeah. Uncomfortable. So then what do you do next? Well, you know, and let's, let's address that, that giant gorilla that just got brought up, right? Because who in their right mind would choose addiction, right? Who would make a bad choice like that? Because now we're back to the beginning. Why Aaron would you choose? I didn't. Just because I have a computer doesn't mean I chose to get hacked. Just because I'm wearing a short skirt doesn't mean I chose to be sexually assaulted. Right. Right. We're, but what you said is important. The next moment can be my choice if I take it and and I can create my day or my day creates me, but there are certainly uh, things will happen in the creation of the day that can bring chaos and pain. Dragons attack villages unwelcome. And when the King queen hire the warrior, to go battle that dragon. Well, that's a conscious decision to face something that came from the outside. We can, we can't blame victims, but victims can take the power of healing back. And it was in that, in that moment where I was like, ah, crap, it's me. And, and here's what I'll say to every parent listening. The moment you do that, when your kid is making unbelievably risky choices is the moment you begin to take your house back. Because I know this 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old is running the home. That's how every phone call I get begins. My child is running the home. I don't know how that happened. Well, it's because you're waiting for them to change. And if they change, you'll get your home back. That's not how this works. How this works is you take your home back. And how do you do that? You take full responsibility for what happens next. You can't take full responsibility for what happens next to your child, but for you, for your home. And so the recovery begins with you. You don't send someone to treatment. You get your butt into treatment. And that's where treatment begins. You start the recovery process for you and hope your child follows. And yeah, you can put your kid in recovery. Yeah, you can put your kid in treatment. But here's what I know about treatment in children. It will fail 89% of the time if the parent doesn't change. As a treatment facility owner, I learned the statistic that a traditional 28-day recovery program fails adolescents 89% of the time. A, that's not enough time to change, and B, parents aren't doing the work. My program, when we were open, uh, we had the biggest parent intervention that we could find in the United States. And our recovery rate, our success rate, according to the parents of children in our program, was 89%. Now, here's what I know about us flipping the script on that 89. 
It was the work we did with parents. We did great stuff with kids. Anybody can do great stuff with kids. But if the kid goes home to an environment that hasn't changed, they're going to go back to the way they were. Because everything we do as parents creates this next moment. Did we give our kids weed? Did we give our kids heroin? No, of course not. Did, did we provide the abusive, abandoning, addiction, assaulting environment for our kids? Probably not. But that doesn't mean we don't create a environment of recovery for our kids. And that starts with what the parents or the parent does next, not what the kid does next. They will follow. Isn't that a painful thing to hear as a parent? You know it's the kid's problem. You know the kid's driving you crazy. You know it's the kid's behavior and the kid's choices and the kid's attitude and the kid's da-da-da-da. And then you turn around and say, okay, parents, you who are dealing with all of this crap that you did not ask for, now you work on yourself. And this is a message that I share, and it's not very popular. Because no. the origin, uh, you know, your, your, your knee jerk is look, and you don't even see the problem. The kid is the problem. And, and, and yet we as parents can be the solution yeah. or at least a huge chunk of the solution. So let's talk about how do we get our home back? How do we create this, this environment so that we have success instead of failure as we help our kids? Right. So the first thing is the, uh, I'm, I'm going to go through two ABCDEs. All right. Two, two step-by-step processes. The first one we call the lizard playbook, the lizard as in the limbic brain, the survival brain of parenting. Okay. A means automatic reaction. How we are responding to the situation is automated. It's, it's, it's habituated. It's, it's, we've done it. It's, it's automatic. They do this and we do this and they say that. So we do this and they say that. And we, and it's the same old dance step we've been doing and it got us here. All right. Everything we did got us to this point and we're still keeping us here. That's a automatic B is that automatic reaction is behaviorally based B. This is a behavior you exhibit as parents. They do something and you get pissed instantly. They do something and you start yelling interesting. They, you, you hear a noise, you get up out of bed, you walk into their room and you see their foot disappear out the window. And that next thing you do is automatic and it's a behavior. It's fear, it's anger, it's a behavior. The third thing is that it is conditioned and it is conditioning. You are in a cyclical process where because this is your reaction, it will be your reaction again next time. I want you to think of it like snow melting off a mountain. It's going to go the same place it went last time. Why? Because every time it goes that way, every time that snow melts, it reinforces the path it must travel, just like a neuropathway in the brain. So every time I'm reusing that reaction, but ultimately, I will have the Grand Canyon of reactions. The water can only go one way now. Then we say, well, just change. It doesn't work like that. Change does not work like that. You got to dig a ditch. So that's your D. Because your A is automatic, B, behavior, C, that is conditioned and conditioning, that D digs your hole deeper. This is not making things better. It's making things worse. And it sets up E, the expectation of others. If only 
my child would change A, B, or C, then I could be happy. Then I could get my house back. Then I could have a good day at work. Then I could not, I could sleep. I could eat a decent meal. I could, if only my child, my spouse, my boss, if only they, then I. The moment you have an if only they, then I thought, you're in the final stage of survival because think of it this way. The only way the lizard actually gets to survive basking out in the sun on that hot rock is if the eagle isn't hunting. And so if you want to change the script at home, you got to change the brain function of the parent. So now we're going to go from lizard to wizard. And there are actually four different types of parenting. There's the warrior, the wizard, the jester, and the bard parents. I'm going to talk exclusively of the wizard parent because these are the highly intellectual parents who are going to do the right thing after much research and understanding because that's what wizards are. They're knowledgeable. So A, B, C, D, E, the first one is awareness, aware that things are happening and it's deeper than you think, aware that you are going through it. The phone rings, your heart rate increases because you know, this is the school calling and blah, blah, blah. And your awareness is like, oh, there's my heart rate going up. That the kid walks in and you become aware that you're not making eye contact. The kid's on their phone. They sit down at the dinner table. They haven't touched their food in five minutes. And you're, you suddenly become aware that you've been spinning in thought about what you're going to say and how they're going to react and what can you say differently? So they react differently. That's the awareness. You're not actually doing anything. You're just becoming aware that you're going through this again and B, you, you begin balance. How's your breathing? How, where, where are you put shifting your weight? Are you sitting on one butt cheek or two? Are you standing on one foot or two? Are you shallow breathing or deep breathing? Are you panic breathing? And you just rebalance your system very, very quickly, tip to toe. And that can start with one deep breath to rebalance your system. And then C is connection before correction. You connect to the child before you correct. It will always be alliance before compliance. You cannot steer the ship by screaming at it. You've got to align yourself with its trajectory and then slowly move the wheel. And only after you've done A, awareness, B, balance, C, connection before correction, you can move on to D, which now you can decide what to say. Now you can decide upon the consequence. Now you can decide what to do. And then E is the best thing about the wizard parent. They evaluate the outcome. Did that work? And if not, start over. Now, at the beginning, this process of awareness, balance, connection, decide, evaluate. It, it takes a minute. Thank God, because you do not do good knee-jerk parenting, especially when you're pissed, especially when you're exhausted, especially when you're terrified. Knee-jerk parenting sucks. Your best parenting from a survival lizard brain is your worst parenting. The best you can hope for is that you keep them alive one more day. And that's enough, but that's enough to keep them alive one more day and you'll be back to survival tomorrow. So the wizard says, all right, I got to delay this, this experience. I got to slow this down. I got to take control back over. And that starts within, not without internal locus of control, not external. That was beautiful. That slowing down and pausing, you are creating a space, yeah. a space between uh, the 
you know, what they're doing and your response, that, that stimulus response and, and that space by opening up that space, it gives you a moment to think, to be able to act rather than to react. And I know we talked before, but there, there is a, there's a quote from Viktor Frankl, where he says between stimulus and response, there is a space in that space is our power to choose our response. And our response lies our growth and our freedom. And by giving that A, B, C, before giving that response, you, you've, you've, you've expanded the space. Even something as simple as taking a breath rather than the knee jerk of yelling is, is creating a space. I, I need a little bit of a space to be able to think and process or, or the knee jerk just happens. That's amazing as you talked about that dance that we do. And, and again, to go back to that, that natural thought process of, no, it's my kid. It's not me. But if, if we change our dance steps, they have to change their dance steps because we've changed the pattern of the way that things are going and, and they don't have a choice, but to change their pattern as well. It doesn't mean we force what the change is going to be, but there has to be some kind of change because we've changed our response. The, the first, the first thing that has to be acknowledged here is that this is way easier said than done right? Because we're dealing with a conditioned pattern of reacting immediately out of fear. This is, this is not a simple thing. It's like the flinch, you know, someone's hand flies up in your face and you immediately flinch away. Try to train that out of yourself, right? This is why a 28 day, a 30 day recovery program for an adolescent is a joke is because you're, you're, you are now trying to override the grand Canyon with an irrigation ditch. It ain't gonna happen. You've got to take the therapeutic time to work this process that on what I call the 99 and one. You have to practice this 99% of the time so that the one time that you really need it, it's automatic. The samurai called this the mushin or the no mind where they would practice a move over and over and over. Malcolm Gladwell gives it a 10,000 that's how many times you have to practice something for something to become expert, automatic. And, and because I've worked with so many kids and parents over the years, so much of my response in these conversations are automatic. And every time I give these responses, I'm reinforcing my own process. And as a father of a 25 and a 26-year-old boy and girl, I have a coach because I still struggle with my responses. This is life work. Recovery work is life work. And parents, if your child is struggling, if they've had a suicide attempt, they're dealing with depression and anxiety, if they're dealing with addiction, if they're dealing with self-harm, mental health, any of them. Dr. Patch Adams was one of my early mentors. I got a chance to meet him and he invited me to teach at the Gesundheit Clinic. He said, grandma doesn't have Alzheimer's. Your family has it. Treat the family. Grandma may not make it. The family has to. And that's no different anything 
what we're dealing with with COVID-19. You, you have to treat the family. The, the, the single person doesn't go into quarantine. The whole family does to make sure the whole family is going to be healthy so that we don't spread something. It's the same with cancer. You're telling me that only affects the cancer person? It affects the entire family. Have you ever worked with a family whose child has tried to commit suicide? Guess who's traumatized? Everybody. So treat the family. And this is the parents' treatment. And we have to start with the parents because, Linda, you and I both know, and I have asked this question to a thousand plus parents, tell me one life lesson that changed how you behaved because of a lecture your mom or dad gave you. Zero. Zero. (laughs) I've never heard a parent say one. You know what changes our behavior? What our parents do. Not what they say, what they do or what they didn't do. We are byproducts of what our parents did or did not do. So this result will come from you changing what you do in your home. Right. And some of my doing is the words that come out of my mouth. Absolutely. I am going to say that our words matter. And I can't say that nothing that my parents ever said didn't affect me. But in that situation of a lecture where I am, you know, to, to sit and listen while they make sounds at me, that never works. Ah, but see, that's what you're saying. In a conversation. Yeah, but the, what you're saying is that we're still dealing with the fruits where the roots, if, if, if you realize that you don't like these oranges, taping apples to the tree, saying something different is not going to suddenly create an apple tree. You got to hit the roots and that's the work. What words come out of our mouth are a byproduct of what's going on internally because, and Linda, here's the key, because I get asked this all the time. Do I take away the cell phone or not? Like, like they're always on it. They're addicted to social media, video games. Do I shut off the internet? Do I take away the, I don't care. What I care about is how you do it. Because if I say to you, Linda, okay, that's enough. I've done. Give me your phone. No, give me the damn phone. I'm tired of paying it. You've, you've been sending nude pictures. of it. Give it to me right now. No, don't you look at me. Give it to me versus. Hey kiddo. I'm so sorry. Things have been going really rough and I'm sorry you're going through this. I being a teen sucks. I know parents are controlling you teachers on and on and on. And this, this phone things have been a struggle for us. The rules have been broken. The rules have been violated. And so I will be consequencing you by removing it for a few days. I'm sorry, but this is hard. And I love you. May I please have your phone? I, it's how you do it. It's not what you do. It's how you do. And that's what has to change. You want the words to come out of our mouth? If you, if you want to say the words, oh my God, how could you make that decision? Are you going to say it from fear, fatigue, or fury? Or are you going to say it from love. Big difference. And what you just described in this little phone analogy is an excellent description of the difference between discipline and punishment. Where punishment comes from that place of reaction, that place of fear, that place of anger and discipline. You even mentioned in your thing that there were rules in place that the child knew what the expectations were. And then there is follow through where it is, these are the rules, these are the consequences that we have already discussed. This is not a surprise to you. And we are following through. There's not anger involved. There might be, you might be angry, but but in your description, it was, no, we are, we're following through. 
And that is beautiful. I think discipline is the way that we should parent rather than that um, punishment. Punishment is just revenge. Uh, And in that moment, I may be so angry, but if that anger comes through in my voice, they're going to focus on the anger and they will be instantly defensive. But that's why there's this, this thing that every, and we said it when you were on my show, every expert, every parenting coach, every psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, therapist says self-care first. Mm-hmm. And what I add to that, that, that the second piece is then adult relationship care, which means your, your, your marriage, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your spouse, your parenting partner, your exes, your support group other adults, because that anger, when I see that foot disappear out the window, and I'm, I know my kid is now sneaking out again. I'm, I'm furious. I've lost, I'm going to lose my mind. Now I'm going to lose my mind with my kid. or Am I going to lose my mind with an adult? Like I call Linda up. I'm like, I'm going to strangle this child. And I'm good. There's a snuck out yet again. I put all these consequences. Does nothing matter? Why are they making these choices? And Linda talks me off the ledge. That in that moment, she's saying, okay, yep, keep going, vent that. Uh, Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not calling CPS on you. We're just vent talking, blah, blah, blah. Okay, good. How you doing, Aaron? Take it. You got a breath in you? Take it now. Okay. All right. Are you in a place to strategize? Do you want support or solutions? How are we feeling right here? And she's, Linda is keeping me in my prefrontal cortex. That's my adult relationship care that I have resourced with another adult who gets what I'm talking about and I can vent and I can problem solve with. Now, when I've done self-care, you have created this support group and that is what you are all about. And your Facebook group yes, podcast is creating that adult group of people who get it and people who can support you and help keep you acting rather than reacting. So forgive me, keep continue what your thought was. I want to, I want to say that on that, on the, on parenting teens that struggle, that's my free Facebook group is that I, I mean, i I, I mod the I mod the group. My daughter and I you know, moderate the group. So parents put on their vent and they get on there and they vent. And then you see how other people who are going through the same thing get on and say, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Here's what I've tried. Let me know if I can help you. You know, uh, private message me if you need more support. And it's just parents supporting parents. And I get on there and I put shows and blah, blah, blah. But the, the, this is this is a place where you can go, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And another parent goes, yeah, I know what that's like. Let's get together and do virtual coffee. And it's awesome because before any decision is made, consequence, punishment, revenge, whatever you want to call it in those moments, you're, you're going to problem solve this and, and you're going you're gonna to be connected to. So that self-care piece is first. And, and you might only have a moment to self-care. And so that just means do one of five things, breathe, sleep, eat healthy food, drink some water or move your body. Because those are the five foundations of self-care. Without any of those, you'll die. Breathing, eating, sleeping, drinking, and moving. You will die without those. So start at the absolute basics and restructure your discipline so that you start doing that consciously because you cannot accidentally be a good parent to a struggling (laughs) child. So isn't that the truth? Dang it. (laughs) Yeah. You you hold your breath and white knuckle and say, maybe if I say this, this will work. And I'm telling you, parents, after 20 years of working with families in crisis, anything can work and anything can fail. What is more, what is more guaranteed to work is 
how you do what you do, not what you do. My, my daughter responds to a completely different thing than my son responds to. I love them both. They both drive me nuts. My, my son is the producer of the show, so he's going to hear that. And he knows, he absolutely knows that I adore him like the sun itself and that my daughter is the moon in my life. And they drive me insane. And I don't always handle it well, but I do handle me. And if I screw it up, then I will apologize. And I will go back and say, I blew it and I'm sorry. And, and, I, and I, I could have handled that better and I didn't. I love that. You are adulting. And doing that, I think, is one of the biggest, most important things that we can do because we're not always perfect. And oh, to expect Lord. ourselves to respond perfectly in every situation is overwhelming and unrealistic. And then we can feel like failures because I didn't handle that well. So I, I give up. I'm done. I've, I've spoken with friends who say, you know, when my mom does something that is wrong or inappropriate or whatever, she walks out of the room for a period of time and then comes back in and pretends that it never happened. <laughs> the appropriate response is everyone is supposed to pretend along with her that it never happened. And when I hear this, and, and now, I mean, my friend is an adult. So this is an adult of an adult. And, and I'm thinking, and you're still in that pattern. No, people, it is okay to not be perfect. It is okay to make a mistake, but it is not okay to not man up when you do. Yeah. God, this, this, this is a process of human nature and to not only make amends to even take it another step and use a process that I call the damaging admission. The damaging admission is a process that's used in neurolinguistic programming. It's also used in commercials. It's used on you every single day, hundreds of times a day. But lawyers also use this process. So I'll give the lawyer version of it. Your Honor, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my client has done a lot of terrible things. They've robbed homes. Uh, my client has carjacked. And one time he carjacked a, an old woman. And my client has a thick file of criminal behavior. But ladies and gentlemen of the jury, your, your, your Honor, my client is not a murderer. Now, what I did in that process, and as I say, it's a neurolinguistic pro process, is that I have answered the big question in the room. I have solved the big problem in the room right away. Because what I have to do is sell what I'm about to say next. And to do that, I got to cop to the fact that the last thing I tried to sell sucked. Commercials do it like this. Don't you hate it when your floors are a sticky mess? And they've answered your first question. And we go, yes, and then we provide the solution. So the way to do that as a parent and say, this is a process. I tell you, parents, if you do this, you're going to see some amazing things. And it's a heartbreaking process, and it's difficult. It's called the damaging admission. You write down a list of everything that you failed at as a parent, and you read it to your kids. You, you write down a list of the mistakes you've made as a parent, and you tell your kids this list. And you follow that up with, so I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some work on me. Now me doing work on me means this house is going to change. And some of those changes will probably affect you. 
but I want you to know that I'm aware that I could have done this better. And I'm sorry. I really am. I'm going to do better. And here's a list of consequences if I don't do better. And here's a list of rewards if I do. And I put myself under behavior contract. Because this whole concept with, of behavior contracts for children only come out as a new list of rules and a new list of punishments. And it doesn't work. You know, it works family behavior contracts where the whole family goes under contract to do things differently. When I come and I say, you know what? I get, I get so upset. You get reactive and I got this tightness. We stop looking at each other in the eye and I get angry that we're not connected. And then I start yelling and interrupting. And that makes this worse. And that's on me. That one's not on you. I'm the adult in the room and I'm screwing this up and I'm so sorry. And I could do better. So here's what I, here's what I promise. Here's my contract. I'm going to stop interrupting you. And if I interrupt you, then you may a end the conversation or B I'll pay you $10. Like I've got to make the consequence look, cause if consequences don't matter, consequences don't matter, right? I mean, if they don't hurt, they don't matter. I had, a, I had a mom consequence herself for yelling at her daughter. And she said, the consequence is that if I yell at you when we're arguing, if I, if I do my screeching, screaming thing, I can't drive my car to work for two weeks. And the daughter was like, bet it, we're on. And in a following argument later on, mom yelled and daughter goes, you broke the contract. The mom goes, crap. I sure did, didn't I? And for two weeks, she rode her bike and she felt better than driving her car. She felt invigorated. Her brain was working better. She dropped three pounds. And the whole way to work and that hill back made her think about yelling at her daughter. And what was more important than that, that's consequence. And if parents aren't setting the example on how to live through uncomfortable consequence, what do we expect the children to do? We are in a society of comfort and avoidance. And it's through discomfort and conflict that we learn resilience and figure out who we are as people. Because life, 12 years old, life is going to show up at your child's doorstep. And you think you're still big enough as a parent to protect them. You're not. And every time you try to solve their problems, if your solutions fail, then their problems are now yours. But Linda, like the example you gave in my podcast, you stand aside and communicate trust that they can handle this thing that they've created. You'll be an ally. You'll be a support. You'll be there. Connection before correction. You'll be there. But they start to learn who they are through dealing with consequence, through conflict. I'm not saying tough love. Tough love is crap. Tough love is shit. It failed as an experiment. You know what is working? Transparency. Oh my God, kid, I want to help you here so badly. I want to jump in and rescue you. But you know what? That would be me communicating that I don't trust you to figure this out. And I do. And I know you're struggling and I'm so sorry. Let me know if you need my help. I believe in you. That's problem solving with your child. And it's hard. Beautiful. This is so important and such useful information. Aaron, thank you so much for becoming what you have become so that you can help other people and their process of becoming good parents and good people. It is, it is beautiful. And thank you for visiting with me today. Well, thank you, Linda. It has been 
enlightening. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Ron Taffel. He said, as kids reach adolescence, they need more than ever for us to watch over them. Adolescence is not about letting go. It's about hanging on during a very bumpy ride. If you're raising teenagers, I encourage you to hang on with positive expectancy, even when the ride feels bumpy. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks, free audiobooks, and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller You Got This an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.